Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. That's fun. Please have a seat. Yeah. Every year, Mike says, are we going to play that song? Oh, we're going to play that song again. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite song. I love that song. Um, I have no gift to gain. I have no gift to bring. So I'll just play my best for him. And then he smiled at me. That's all any of us have, right? We have no gift for this king. And we'll just live a life that's best, right? The best we can do. And maybe he'll smile. Oh, man, I love that song. Anyway, I also love the movie. I love the little stop motion claymation movie. And I found out this season that there's a lot of people under 40 that have never seen this movie. So here we go. This is your homework assignment between now and Christmas Eve. You go look this up on uh, YouTube or whatever and watch this. I grew up watching it every year. I just, you know, you only showed it once a year. That was back in the day. And I would rearrange my life and I would sit there and I would watch this movie and my family would watch me watch this movie because they knew I would cry like a baby at the end of this movie every time, every time. I love this movie. He, um, it's the little drummer boy. He's, um, he's like bitter with rage. He's twisted with hatred. Uh, in a phrase, he says this, I hate people, all people, all people. And then he ends up in Bethlehem on that magic morning and he, he, he sees the baby. He has an audience with the king, and he's captivated right? and, and, and mesmerized, and he's transformed by that wonder. And his, his life has changed, captivated and transformed by wonder, and he's a new boy. This is what he saw. And while they were in Bethlehem, the time came when the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. And he said, what? How can this be? And it changed his life. Where is the wonder in, in the nativity these days? Where is, where, where is this captivation and transformation by the wonder of the manger scene? I, something, something happens to us. I think when we're young, at least this is my experience, uh, it wasn't about the, the toys and the vacation days. It was the spirit of Christmas. I, I, I think many of you, as you're, when you're innocent, you, you, can, you can find yourself enveloped into that because you know it's a story that's a fairy tale that, that's come true. It's a true fairy tale story that comes true. And and, and it, 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 it's, it brings joy to your heart, and it, it, trans, it translates into other aspects of your life. And then you grow old, right? I mean, we, then we get older, and we get in a hurry. Uh, maybe we learn too much. It's too, you know, too much that's good for us, and then it's just another day or something else to do. And so we, we, we lose the wonder of Christmas. And... That's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, Jesus came to bring us wonder, because wonder can change our lives. And, and here's the key to it. I think here's the key to getting wonder back. Uh, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. What you think about God is the very most important thing about you. And I, I think when we look at uh, 
the absence of wonder, it's, it goes back to our belief about who we think God is. When you think about God, the most important thing about you is how you think about him. You're going to have to reconcile these two words, this, these, these two words. God's transcendent and God is eminent. God is transcendent and God is eminent. Now, it's either or. These are opposites and, and they contradict each other. You have to choose one or the other. And, and most of you, honestly, have never heard these words or don't understand maybe how they define God. But uh, these words are defining you. These words are defining you because uh, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And you have to, you have to think through this. Is God transcendent or is God eminent? And where, you know, if there's, if there's a spectrum where we start with the Christmas tree and that's God's transcendence and, and the, the grand piano is his eminence, you know, where you fit on that spectrum is, gonna, is going to determine whether you're captivated by the wonder of the Christmas story or, or you marvel at your salvation, how you fit on there. And our goal today is to... Is to Get wonder back into our lives, into our souls. Have it joy overflowing again. The way we're going to do that is I'm going to go through, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to tell you these words. I'm going to describe and define what transcendence means and what eminence means. And then we're going to try to figure out how that's influencing and affecting our definition of God, the one that's in our souls, and how it might be the cause f- for our lack of wonder. Okay? So let's look at some of the, let's look at these two words and let's see how we can apply them to our our definition of God. The first one is, is God is transcendent. We'll use this over here. God is transcendent. That means that God is other than. He is outside of creation. He is not, he could not be contained, right, by the things that are, are physical. And, and, and the idea that with a, with a poem, with a poem, he sings creation into existence, galaxies, and solar systems, the universe itself. And, and he is outside of that universe. Karl Barth, the famous theologian, said that he, God is the absolute other. Mortimer Adler, the famous um, scholar that was the chief editor for Encyclopedia Britannica and the great books of Western civilization, he wrote a book on the existence of God, and he said it is humorously arrogant of us to think that we could even have a conversation about God and think that we would even have a word for it because he is so out transcendent. He is, he is beyond our ability to comprehend. We, we couldn't even have a discussion about it. Uh, an, uh, or even say a word about it, uh, right? God-fearing Jews, some of you know God-fearing Jews, will not even say the formal name of God, Yahweh. Some of them won't even write the word G-O-D. They'll just write G-D because they know that God, he's not like us. There's nothing you could you know, use a pen to describe him with a few short letters. That's impossible. So the attributes of God that, that bring in his transcendence is we'll say that uh, the passage that the angels were around the throne and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the only attribute that's mentioned three times in a row in the Bible, right? We're, we talk about God's justice, his righteous right hand, and that's in a reference to his transcendence. And it, it produces a person that has a value of God's transcendent nature over here. They're going to have an attitude of God 
towards God that's in awe and in reverence and humility. And that's the way they're going to see his transcendence. Transcendence causes us to say, wow. Just wow. That's, trans, that's a transcendent nature of God. In the Old Testament, you can see it in the way they build their temples and the way they have their sacrifices. In church history, you can see that the transcendent of God it was the purpose and the, the primary directive and motivation when we built, when we built the, the, chap, uh, the cathedrals in Europe. It's always the tallest building. It was designed by the best architects. It was built by the best craftsmen that were around and the artists, that the best artists were putting into this because it was a magnificent piece, right, of, of, of expression of God's transcendent. And when you walk in these cathedrals, you say, wow. And you whisper. No one talks in a building like that. They wanted you to feel that God was bigger than you can imagine. And even the pulpits, even in American, even in the older American uh, churches, the pulpits would spiral up, right? Uh, uh, Moby Dick starts with the pastor spiraling up, and he would teach from a lofty position and speak down at the people because he wasn't teaching from any other book, not like, not like any other books. It's a different kind of book. It's, it's a revelation from this most holy, righteous God, this powerful God. And so in every, every way they could project upon you their transcend, his transcendence, they would. So even their, their garb, their, their clothing, right? This is a pope, and so he wants, he's projecting royalty beyond comprehension or imagination so that you would believe that God is transcendent, right? You, wow. Now, the, the problem with, um, oh, you, you dwell over here, you think, well, he, God must not, how, how could he possibly be concerned about me or even, in, or know me? He could be, he, you could see that he's uncaring or distant because we're just a small little blue marble in the darkness. That's, that, that can happen. But I want you to walk away with this. When we, under, when we talk about God's transcendence, I'm defining that term. We'll see it again later. Transcendent means wow. Wow. He's outside of all this dirt, this matter. Now, the other one, again, this, this opposite side of this is the word eminent. And eminent means close. It means inside, even inside. It talks about, the Bible talks about he is in all things. And, and he's, he's close to us. He knows us personally. The Bible will say that he knows our name. He knows our thoughts. It says that he knit us. He's talking about not us, but like one individual person. He knit us in our mother's womb. He, he's chosen every day for us. And so the attributes of God that we talk about in his eminence is his love and his compassion and his care, the grace, the gift of forgiveness that we receive from him. And the character that that produces is this idea that, that God is approachable. And he is, he is um, understanding of who we are and what life is like. Uh, Jesus Christ is the great high priest, but he, he's not a high priest that is unable to understand what we in, have to endure. But he's like us in that he's suffered all kinds of temptations, except without sin. He's close. He's imminent to us. 
And so some churches, when they're trying to project this on, the, on a person that's walking into the church building, right, church architecture is common. They don't want you to feel uncomfortable walking in. And it's, it's not a matter of money with a lot of churches because it doesn't cost much more money to make a building pretty. But they, they intentionally make it look like a Costco, right, or a, a, a traditional lecture hall so that you would come in and say, okay, you know, I'm okay with this. And even pastoral garb, the way pastors dress now. In my experience, you know, in my 30 years of doing ministry, I've seen some of the same churches where they started in robes. The senior pastor, the preaching pastor was in robes, and then he went to a suit, and then now he he dresses down. Churches, senior pastors dress, they literally dress down on Sunday morning. So I'm, I'm emphasizing it's not an issue of financial well-being because on Monday through Friday, they'll wear a collared shirt or tuck their shirt in, that sort of thing. But Sunday comes, they're wearing a T-shirt, you know, because, well, honestly, number one reason, uh, because all the cool kids are doing it. I, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that's what motivates uh, most people uh, in, this, in this issue. But if you were to track down uh, one of the men that, that said, and you said, okay, why do you do what you do? I mean, you, you are dressing intentionally looking at things less valuable on Sunday morning to wear, he would probably say, look, I, I want people to understand that God's approachable. God's, God's near them. He, God is like them. Jesus would wear clothing that would be like everybody else's clothing. And so that's what I'm doing here. And, and one of the, the, the point over in this eminence is when the kind of the existential response to that is supposed to be like, What? How can that be? How can that even be true that he, would, he could be that close to us? And that, friends, what? How can that be? That's where the wonder is. That's where we get wonder. That he could be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But there isn't wonder. The wonder is missing. You ever wonder why there's no wonder? I mean, I mean, we can we can step over a nativity scene in our own front yard on the way to our front door and not have a second thought about it. It's just stuff in the yard because it's that time of year. So how do, we, how do we get the wonder? How did we lose it? Well, here's the answer. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And, and childlike wonder can be uh, enjoyed, and, but it must be maintained. Here is the problem. Well, here is the answer to the problem. Remember, eminence and transcendence. The modern church has learned all about the eminence of God independent of the transcendence of God. Most of us have learned about the closeness of God, but not the almighty holiness of God. 
we, we know about the what, but we don't say that because we don't know about the wow. You can't, here's the point, you can't have the what? How could that happen unless you first experience deeply the wow, wow. Eminence needs transcendence. You can't get the wonder without first the fear of the wow. As a, as a matter of fact, it needs it so eminence needs transcendence so bad that if you if you if you are only exposed to this eminence of God, the closeness of God, and the love and the grace of God, and that sort of thing outside of the transcendence of God, then the what? How could that be becomes, well, sure, why not? So you, you look at uh, Jesus came not to serve, or I'm sorry, not to be served, but to serve. Well, we're, Jesus, the Messiah, came not to be served, but to serve what? Now we say, well, well, sure, yeah. And if you listen to my prayers, you'll find that there's almost no worship And for the most part, it's just a to-do list for God to get my life a little easier to live. (laughs) The Messiah came to to forgive us and pay the consequences for the sin. What? How could that be? Or without transcendence, we go, well, um, that's what God does. I mean, I am a friend of God, and friends forgive each other. And so we go to the manger scene and we say, oh, right. You know, there was that time that I took that business trip to Detroit and I forgot to make a reservation and I know what it's like. I mean, I, it's, <laughs> point is, I mean, let me restate that. The reason we don't have wonder, the reason we're not captivated and we're not transformed by wonder is because we don't say, what? How could that be? Because we don't start with eminence or transcendence with the wow. Very common in American churches and contemporary churches today. Let me give you an example. There's a, a pretty famous pastor in Chicago. His name is Bill Hybels. And he, he didn't start, but he sure started or start, helped get the movement of the eminence of God out there. And here's why. Because when Bill Hybels was growing up, he grew up in a church over here. Pretty sure it's Lutheran. But it was a very strict one, and they talked about the holiness and the righteousness of God, the justice of God. He knew those Ten Commandments, and he was a very disciplined and dedicated person. And, uh, again, the, the architecture of the church, the robes of the church, all that was projecting that. And, and, it was, and his desire to do all things right was bringing him to the point of a near nervous breakdown in the upper part of his high school. And then someone sat down with him and said, Bill... God knows your name. He loves you, and he has given you grace so that you don't have to live with all this legalism. And he went, what? How can that be? And, and he received that forgiveness, and it was transformational in his life, right? Because wonder, right? Because he was, he was consumed by that wonder. 
And it transformed him. And he said, everyone has to know about this eminence of God. And so, you know, again, he, he jumped on a bandwagon that was already going. But, boy, he fueled it with turbochargers and everything. And he started, he, write, he wrote books and did conferences and said, this is how you do church. This is how you make sure everybody knows that God is close to them. God loves them. God forgave them. Big hit. 25, 30 years into this, and people are are just packed into these places and you know, going outside the doors, waiting in line to get inside. And then it occurred to him, maybe there's another way of keeping score than just attendance. And after 25, 30 years, he said, why don't we do a survey and see how people are maturing in their walk with God? Let's see how they're growing. Let's see how they're, they're Christ followers. Let's see how close they're following Christ. And when he got the survey back, it knocked him down. It crushed him because his audience, all these people coming every week, they weren't obeying God. They didn't even care to obey God. And then it hit him. Boom. These people in his church knew about the eminence of God, but they knew nothing about his transcendence. Bill said, I assumed my background on them. They didn't have it. And so the passage is about, you should be holy as I am holy. They went right over those. They never had a, wow. And so when they got the eminence, they didn't say, what? They said, well, sure. And so he wrote another book and had another set of conferences. And he said, oops. You have to have transcendence to fully enjoy eminence. What, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. And here's our first application. Jesus came to bring us wonder. Jesus came to bring us wonder. And it comes with his transcendence and it comes with his eminence. And you must have transcendence to enjoy the eminence. Eminence needs transcendence. What must have first? Wow. So if you look at that line, that continuum, right, between transcendence and eminence, where you are on that spectrum says a lot about your relationship with, with God. And if, if you, it, would, it would seem to make sense. Well, I mean, we have, whether we know it or not, Aristotle riding around in our heads, you know, the virtue and excellence is the golden mean between the extremes. Right? You'd think you'd want to be around 50%, right? Right in the middle, 50-yard line, rather. That'd be great. That's not how it works. That is not how you get wonder. That's not how you're captivated by the resurrection, by the birth, by salvation. You start here. You start as far over as you can in transcendence. Because the bigger the wow, the better the what? This, these are the passages we spend time on. This, these are the attributes. The bigger God gets, the better it is. And one, about every once in a while when you get to the point where it's like, if he is that big and almighty and un, unable to be contained in vocabulary words, why would he care? Then you go over to eminence and say, I don't know, but he does. What? How could that be? The answer to the solution is you start with transcendence, and you, the bigger and the better it is, the better. 
I, listen, we had, I just, you know, we went to Israel, right? And we had two different guides, but there was this one part where our guide, not a religious person, a very, very good guide, but she wasn't religious in her own admission. And there was this one passage of scripture where she's reading the historical events that are taking place here. And then she gets to a place where she just says this. She says, I don't like what God does next, so I will, I will quit reading. I was, What? Hey, Matt, do you have anything to say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a lot to say. And I, she, she could only go this far in the transcendent area. So I went over here and said, he'll do what he wants when he wants. And if he wants to take the lives of all these false priests, so it goes. Because he's God. And at the end of that story, all the people said, Wow. Wow. And that we would live through something even worse. We go, what? Why would he let us survive? Uh, let me, I only say, here's, here, let me just, I want to put them, you, you, you make, you get them connected together. You, you take the two extremes and you connect them together. They are contradictions in every other context but in God's definition. And the farther you go out on transcendence, the more glorious eminence will become. Because here's how it looks mathematically, okay? Transcendence plus eminence is wonder. The wow plus the what is worship. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's, and, and, and I say that practically speaking, that's how it works. Logically, it's the only way it works. This is what the Bible does. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is what the Bible does. In the creation story, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right? In the beginning, God forms the heavens and the earth, right? And he just, he just speaks. He speaks. He sings a song. He reads a poem. And let there be light. And there was light. Well, let there be you know, land, and there was land, and then there was water, because he said so. And let the birds of the skies, and the beasts of the fields, and the fish in the water. And it was. And there's just, it's just two chapters of whatever he does, whenever he does it. He's, wow. And then in chapter 3, he goes all the way over here. It's uh, no English-speaking, non-Hebrew can fully appreciate the fullness of this phrase. But in chapter 3, it says, and then... He walked in the garden in the cool of the evening. That is saturated and overflowing with relational connection. In the cool of the evening, because you don't have to hurry, because it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. Let's just walk in the garden and talk with each other. What? How could that be? that he could create all these things, all these things, and then he would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. It starts with transcendence. Wow. And then goes to eminence. What? How could that be? You want to be captivated and transformed by the story of the nativity? It doesn't start in Bethlehem. It doesn't. It starts in Egypt. There are only a very few times in the Bible, in, his, in human history, where God tells people, I'm coming to meet with you. 
prepare yourself. Okay, he says that for the nativity. There's a thousand prophecies that says he's coming for that. And there's also a warning in Exodus. And Exodus is during a time when people didn't know God. They didn't know, they, Moses doesn't even know his name in Exodus chapter 3. Who should I say sent me? God says, my name's Yahweh. Chapter 5, Moses says to Pharaoh, hey, uh, Yahweh wants you to let his people go in the desert so that they could worship him. Pharaoh says, so who's Yahweh that I'd let his people go? Who is Yahweh that I would obey him? No wow. And so 10 devastating plagues later and the conquest of quite possibly the largest and most powerful army in the world at that time, God has still not introduced himself to Israel. Three months later, in Exodus chapter 19, this is where the Bethlehem story starts. This is what happens. And this, this is Moses. This is what you are to say to Jacob, the house of Jacob, Israel, and to the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I've done, what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you out on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. And so says Jehovah God, Yahweh, and he says to Moses, go to the people and tell them to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow, and you'd better have them wash their clothes and have them ready on the third day because Yahweh is coming down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. Bethlehem story starts in Mount Sinai. And you put limits around that mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up on that mountain or touch even the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death, and he shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows from a distance. You can't even kill him up close. Not a hand is to be laid on that person, whether that it's a man or an animal. He shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast that you can go up to the mountain. Okay, wow. Can't wait, <laughs> right? Verse 16 of chapter 19, so in the morning of the third day, thunder and lightning with a very thick cloud came over the mountain and a very loud trumpet was blasting and everyone trembled. And then Moses led, out, let the, uh, led the people out of the camp and to the foot of the mountain to where they could meet God. And at Mount Sinai, it was covered with smoke because the Lord God, Jehovah, had descended upon it with fire and the smoke billowed up from it and the smoke uh, was like a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently, it says. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder. And Moses spoke with a voice and Moses could hear it. And Moses spoke with his voice and God could hear it. And then, and then, and then the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and the mountain that was smoking and it was trembling and they shook with fear. And so they said, we're going to stay at a distance, Moses. You go up on the mountain and you tell us what he said. Wow. That's it. I don't, I don't want any more. And here's, what, here's Moses' response to them. He's just like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that you would fear his transcendence and you will keep from sinning. Wow. That's transcendence. It's soon after that that he gives the Ten Commandments. And the people said, is that all? Because we'll do 20. Whatever. You tell us what to do. <laughs> That's the Christmas story. That's Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. 
let the calendar fly. 1,500 years later, the eminence of God. And so Joseph, Luke chapter 2, went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. And so he went there together to register with Mary because she was pledged to be married to him, and they were expecting a child. And while they were there, a time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. She wrapped him up in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. That's the Christmas story. It went from that to that. What? How could that even be? This story is the most spectacular story in human history. It is in Bethlehem where contradictions come to live in complete harmony with one another. It is where God's transcendence and his eminence are enjoyed together. The wow and the what? It is where eternity comes to be temporal. The angels never grow bored with the manger scene because they're always in the presence of wow. And so they're not stepping over yard art without saying, what? I still don't understand. How could the maker of Mary's womb be made in Mary's womb? How could the all-powerful become so frail and weak he couldn't lift his head? What? Wow. What? Wow. What? The one, the one who owns the cattle of a thousand, on a thousand hill, hills says, can I borrow your stable? <laughs> the shepherd is greeted to life with the sound of sheep. Wow. What? Friends, this is God in a cave. This, this is, it is this at its extreme, matching that, at its extreme. And we are captivated and we are transformed by wonder. Jesus came to bring us wonder. And we want to worship, don't we? The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And then that. What are we to do? How do you even respond to the echo of the truth that we're studying today? All I can think of is I'll just do what they do next. In the 
and when, when these shepherds, shepherds come and see that baby, here's what they do. They tell everyone. It says, and when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said because they grew up with wow, and they found out there was a what? How could that even be? Tell people, tell people, tell people. Ask a friend at Christmas Eve, bring him to church next year. It's a way to show worship. You know, the other thing that happens, again, it's just it's just what happens when you're captivated and consumed by wonder. The next thing is you ponder these things in your heart. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She spent the rest of her life like we should be going, if I'm going to go as far over there as I possibly can so that I might experience as far over as I possibly can. I will ponder these things in my soul. The most important thing about me is what I believe about God. And so I will spend time and purpose in my definition of who God is. They told everyone, they pondered these things, and the last thing, they just glorified and they praised God. That's what they did. And the shepherds returned, and they glorified and praised God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just exactly what they'd been told. Christmas is not a day. It's not even a season. It's a paradigm. It's a way of life. It's a perspective. It is the way we view reality because the most important thing about us is the way we think. And when we think about the absolute transcendent nature of God and his closeness and eminence and intimacy with us, wow, and what? Spend some time over here because if you do, what will you say? Wow. And the more you spend over here saying wow, the more you're going to enjoy the what? That's what it is, friends. That's, that's, that's how you get the wonder back. That's how you begin to worship. If the angels never grow bored of it, then neither should we. They spend their time over here. Let's pray to God that we will do the same. Lord, what child is this who's laid to rest in Mary's lap sleeping? What? Where angels greet and anthems sweet while shepherds watch their keeping. This, this is Christ the King. This is where shepherds guard and angels sing. This is Christ the King. He's a baby. He's the son of Mary. Wow. What? Lord Jesus, I'd ask that we would have a whole new experience in the power of of your transcendence that we might more fully appreciate the closeness and the love and the gentle spirit that you are. Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid of being afraid of you, that we would lean heavy into those passages that cause us to wonder so that we would wonder. Lord, I'd ask that you would give us um, this wonder back, this worship, this wow. We pray.
pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to the fullness of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.